Hi guys, welcome back to this week's episode of Millennial Mirrors. Our guest this week is Nortahini, who's going to be talking to us about the topic of self-acceptance. She is the co-founder of Goodness, the Middle East's first platform tackling women's health in a real honest and holistic way. We talked to Noor this episode about how she went from book publishing to the world of women's fashion, and also about her personal journey with self-acceptance and uh, her eating disorder and things like that. Um, hopefully you will uh, take away something from this episode, and uh, yeah, tune in. Welcome, Noor, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thanks so much here. for taking the time. For those of you listening, um, our Pro Tools session crashed. We're re-recording this conversation for the second time, um, just to be completely honest with the with the audience. Um, so what's the story of Noor Tahini, if you don't mind repeating the first few minutes again? Not as interesting <laughs> the second time around, by the way. <laughs> he lost all the good bits. <laughs> what's the story of Noor Tahini? Um, so I am Lebanese, and as mm-hmm. I was telling you before, it has a very different weight to say that these days because there's a lot of pride and emotion attached to it. And my parents were Le- my parents are Lebanese, and they they left Lebanon during the civil war and moved to mm-hmm. London, where I was born. And I lived most of my life after that between Abu Dhabi and Dubai, and um, grew up in Abu Dhabi, and then and then in later years was in Dubai, and I actually live in Sharjah now. So I'm working my way through all the Emirates. Uh-huh. Okay, good. Russell Famous next. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I lived in the UAE most of my life. I studied in London and lived in London. So I moved to London in 2012 to study politics and international relations. And so I studied politics and international relations. And by the time I was done with that basically realized three years in that I didn't that that wasn't where I wanted to be mm-hmm. and so in another um sort of faithful conversation with someone I was sitting there with a friend and I was saying him applications for masters are due now and I don't know what to do I don't know what right. I'm supposed to do and he's like well what do you like and I was like I love books he's like there you go go make books I was like damn that's a good idea and that was it so I applied and um luckily got into study um, publishing studies at City University in London, where I was for a year. That was also a strange experience. I was about 10 years younger than the next person mm. there because a lot of them were there for career changes. But I loved it. I loved learning about the whole book publishing process. And I got a job. Actually, I, I got my first job while I was still studying. And I worked at Hachette UK, which is one of the biggest book publishers. Wow. They uh, we used to joke that Harry Potter paid our salary because <laughs> they published Harry Potter. Ah, okay. But the whole time I was there, I had this feeling that I London was not home for me. Mm-hmm. And I was having this sort of like, I mean, existential crisis where I missed so much the warmth of the Middle East and of Arab people. And I wasn't a- really able to find that there, although mm. a lot of my friends were Arabs, but a lot of them, you know, kept leaving because... Yeah. They would leave after their undergrad. They would leave after their postgrad and so on. And so my dad was very big on us getting a great education abroad and work experience. So every so often I'd call him and ask him if I could come home. And so I called him after my undergrad. I was like, can I come home now? And he's like, no, not yet. Do your postgrad. Did my postgrad. Dad, can I come home now? No, not yet. Get your work experience. And two years into my first job, I called him. I was like, can I come home now? And he said, yes. Yeah. And I was... I was ecstatic and I was so excited. I I immediately started looking for book publishing opportunities in the UAE. And I couldn't find anything that was anywhere sort of on on par with what I was doing in London. Mm -hmm. So I turned my attention to magazine publishing. 
I applied to Brown Book. I applied to Savoir Faire, which was and is the, the Middle East's first online magazine mm-hmm. um, with a focus on fashion and lifestyle. I applied to a number of other publications and I was just going to see what happened and basically go with the first the first answer that I got, the first mm-hmm. opportunity that I got. So I was sitting by the pool in Ibiza <laughs> <laughs> um, with my friend and we had just checked out of our hotel. It was May 2012. And... I got an email from the editor-in-chief and founding publisher of Savoir Flair, Halinia, mm. telling me that I had gotten the job. Yep. And so literally marched back into the hotel, extended our stay for another week, emailed my boss in London and told her that I wasn't going to be coming back. And I told, yeah. I made up some story about my friend having food, um, what's it called? Food poisoning. poisoning. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, we ended up staying there for another week. As soon as I got back to London, I handed in my resignation, packed up my bags. And a week later, I was in Dubai, ready to start a job in the fashion industry. Which is very different than what you were planning on. <laughs> yes, entirely different in terms of the industry that I was in, in, mm-hmm. the, in the sense that I, my focus was fashion. But the way I saw it is that I was still an editor. Mm-hmm. It was just that I was editing a different subject. And I was hired to be the managing editor of the the of Savoir Flair of the publication and there was a, a group so I oversaw basically production I oversaw the editorial team I oversaw the design team so how was it to kind of enter the world of fashion or how mm. considering the fact that it wasn't something you were necessarily super interested in but then suddenly it was something that you were very immersed in yeah no I it's right to say that I wasn't super interested in at the beginning it was never an industry where I picked like if you told me even two years before that, that I was going to end up in fashion at Fashion Week, interviewing mm. designers, models, celebrities, I would have laughed. Yeah, I was like, what are you talking about? Like fashion for me is like my fashion expression is Primark, Zara and Mango. And that, <laughs> that's literally the extent yeah. of it. But I had this amazing opportunity and I was going to give it my all. So what I ended up doing is as I waited for this new job to start, I studied fashion. I read everything I could. I looked up the different houses where they were located, who the creative directors were, who the the, the previous creative director was. And I was and I was I was ready. Like I wanted to go in on my first day knowing what I was talking about. And it's funny because my my old boss Sohali who started Savoir Flair always says, you know, you showed up on your first day in a maxi dress and flip flops. And I thought Oh, Lord, who did I hire? <laughs> you know, um, it, it took me a while to kind of get the hang of. Oh, this is so the devil wears Prada. <laughs> yeah, um, but a much more nurturing environment, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. It took me a while to get the hang of that and to get the hang of the industry. But once I did, I I felt so comfortable in it. And we're talking, when was this? 2000. Yeah, so it was in 2012 when I moved here, second half of the year when I started my job. And the industry was very different back then. It was very small, very nurturing. Everyone knew each other. Mm -hmm. Everyone appreciated and respected and supported each other. And it was a very exciting time to be part of the industry here. Um, I I got a lot of opportunities to travel to Paris Fashion Week. I'd go to Milan Fashion Week twice a year. I met incredible designers every time someone would come to Dubai. I had the opportunity of interviewing them. It was a very different life to the one that I had been accustomed to. So I had, you know, moved to London where 
there was very little glitz and glam to yeah. the publishing life to Dubai where every other evening was a party, a restaurant yeah. opening, you know, like a a new shoe or handbag launch. Yeah. And the parks were insane. You got to travel yeah. the world. I mean, I went all the way from uh, Sao Paulo to Bangkok in one year on different trips. And I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I learned a lot about the digital world, especially. It was a very, 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 very exciting few years there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you're the co-founder of Goodness. Yes. Which is a wellness platform. Mm -hmm. So how do you go from the world of fashion to the world of women's wellness? I guess it all started with the screening of a documentary. Okay. In Al-Sarkal called True Cost. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of it? No. So True Cost is a documentary that highlights the cost of the fashion industry or the impact of the fashion industry on our planet. So whether mm -hmm. it's like the humanitarian impact or the economic impact or the environmental impact or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I went to, they had this screening at A4 in El Cercal mm -hmm. and, I, and I watched it with a colleague of mine. And I remember once it was done and they finished the Q&A, everyone started to kind of like walk out of the room, of the screening room. And we were just both sitting there in complete shock. Right. And we just had no idea. We, we just didn't know the extent to which the industry that we loved so much was damaging the planet and was damaging the environment, et cetera. And that, that sort of opened my eyes. It didn't immediately make me think I'm out of fashion. Mm -hmm. It just started to make me think differently about the industry I was in. Right. And that sort of coincided as well with a big shift in the global and local fashion industry where it was the age of the influencer. Um, Instagram had like completely exploded by that point. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, I felt like the industry had lost a lot of the soul that it used to have and that I, and I loved. And mm. don't get me wrong, fashion in itself is a beautiful expression of creativity and individuality, but it ha we have gotten to a point where it was just this like churn of new collection, new collection, new trend, yeah. new trend. And then the messaging from magazines is if you don't have this new bag, then you're not good enough. And mm -hmm. if you don't have this, then you're not cool enough and buy and buy and buy and spend and spend. And the consumerism is just like, I just couldn't close my eyes to it. Yeah. And I, I remember telling my husband, I'm like, it's, I wish I never, almost wish I never saw these things or never realized these things because you know, ignorance is bliss. Yeah, and yeah, I would have just continued on like, oh my God, love fashion, you know? <laughs> and I do, I do love fashion. I still do love fashion to this day. But I started to also question what my contribution to women was. Mm. Like, what am I telling women? What is the message that I'm putting out there? And I think it also coincided with sort of the uh, resurgence of this eating disorder that I had had since I was yeah, since I was a teenager. It kind of went away and came mm -hmm. back and morphed into a different kind of eating disorder. But by sort of twenty. I would say 2017, it was really like at a peak where I had felt that to belong in this fashion industry, to be able to wear the samples that the brands wanted to lend to me to go to fashion week, which were a size zero or a size two or whatever, which I never was, mm. I needed to lose the weight and look a certain way. Right. So all of those things kind of came crashing together. And I was like, 
I have to do, there has to be something else that I do with my life. I have to do more. I have to be able to bring a different message to women. And, uh, you know, at the time it wasn't, inclusivity wasn't all that yet. And so the type of women that you saw in magazines, the type of messaging that young girls or women were getting was like, this is what you have to look like. And I was face tuning all my photos. Mm. Everyone was face tuning their photos. Like there was no accountability. There was no honesty. And Mm -hmm. I, I just had to get out. And so I started to, I started to think about what I wanted to bring women, what kind of value I wanted to bring to their lives. And I remember I went to, so I'm a co-founder, not founder, because Mm. I went to my old boss at Subway Flair, Halania, and I Mm. said to her, I can't do this anymore. I need, I need, I need to bring more value. Um, And I want to start a magazine. I want to start a magazine. It's going to be called Goodness. And I want to give you sort of first right of refusal. Do you want to do it with me or not? Okay. And she said, let me think about it. And she went away for a day or two and she came back and she said, you know what? I've really been looking for something like this to feel as well like I am bringing a different message to women. Mm-hmm. And she said, yep, let's do it. And so Halo Media, which is the company that owns Savoir Flair, incubated goodness for the first two years of its life. Oh, amazing. And I did, and I sort of did goodness on the side at Savoir Flair. Well, I was still at Savoir Flair and at Halo Studio, but I think it was very clear that I was sort of like closing the chapter on fashion. Mm-hmm. And eventually I handed in my resignation last summer for for the the fashion business and focused entirely on goodness moving forward. Okay. So this may sound insensitive and I don't have to answer if you don't want to, but I guess considering your history with an eating disorder, were you not worried about entering the world of fashion or was it just because you really wanted to kind of get back to Dubai so the job offer from South Fair mm. was like, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. So Flair was attractive enough that you just kind of jumped into it. I don't think I even connected the two at the time. Okay. Um, I didn't. I didn't think I had an eating disorder, or I didn't think it was a problem. Maybe, mm-hmm. and it would go through. It would fluctuate. It would go through phases. So it would be like sort of off for six months and on for two months and off again and on again. Very much dependent on how I felt about myself, the environment I was in. And, you know, it's a way to, a lot of the times it's a way to soothe yourself or it's right. a way to, um, it, it's a way, it, it's a reaction to what's happening around you. Right. And so in that sense, no, I, I never ever made the connection between the two and thought probably shouldn't be in fashion. You know, okay. if you're, if, if it triggers you in that sense, I never thought of that. And I actually, it wasn't until, um, Summer 2000 and September 2018, I want to say. September 2018, I was in Rome and I was crying in the bathroom because I felt so bad about the pizza that I had eaten. And I was just thinking, I was like, this cannot be, this cannot be my life. It it can't be that I'm not even able to enjoy a good pizza out with my friends in Rome of all places, you know? And I picked up my phone at that moment and I emailed a woman who I had met through work at Goodness. So mm-hmm. I, I emailed her. Her name is Dr. Karine Al-Khazan and she's, the, she's a, a therapist, but also the vice president of the Middle East Eating Disorder Association. Okay. And I emailed her and I said, literally, I said, I'm ready to come see you. And I think it was only in that moment that I really acknowledged that I had a problem. I, I see. think maybe people with eating disorders, I don't want to generalize, but maybe, they, maybe we... Um, have a way of 
of sort of like sweeping it under the rug and not acknowledging just how big of a problem it is. Mm -hmm. And so I emailed her and I said, I'm ready to come see you. And then when I was back in Dubai a few weeks later, I had an appointment with her and that started a year and a half to probably a year and a half to two years of um, intense therapy for eating disorder, which I sort of graduated from at the start of this year. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always tell people like therapy is one of the best things I did. And I feel like not enough people talk about the fact mm. that they go to therapy even when they do. Because no matter what your issue is, like the having someone to work through it with you and a just the removal of shame yeah. from having any kind of issue is one of the most powerful things you can do for yourself. Yeah. Like you want to buy yourself a gift, buy yourself some therapy and remove the shame from your life. Honestly, 100%. Like, it's so powerful. Yeah. I am a huge proponent of therapy. I think it's the same way you get a personal trainer for your body. Yeah. You need a personal trainer for your head and you need someone to help you untangle things. And so I did CBTE, which is CBT enhanced for eating disorders at um, that was the the one for for the eating disorder that I did. And then once I was done with that at the start of the year, I started to look for something that had a little bit of a more spiritual aspect mm -hmm. to it. I think that's also been my journey and I've been more open to that this year, maybe because in a sense, what's happening has given us a bit more perspective. Yeah. It was kind of like, you know, those pictures that are made up of like a thousand small Little, pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you're standing far away, it's like a big picture. But once you have time to get closer, you can see each little picture and you can actually point to something and say, that doesn't look right. That feels wrong. That makes me feel like this. And I think for me, I've I don't have children. And so I didn't have the whole like at home learning experience yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that has scarred so many of my friends. I was at home. I was comfortable. Thank like thankfully. So I had time to introspect and look at the small different pieces that make up my life. And I realized that spirituality was something that I wanted to dig, dig into more. You know, I was, I was raised Christian. Mm -hmm. And so that is the language that I used to communicate with a higher power. But I do feel that there's so much more out there. So in the first recording that of the intro, which got canceled because our session crashed, you mentioned that you, um, you got homework from, from your therapist that asked you to write about your life in the third person yes. to give yourself some perspective. Looking back at your life from the place you're at now, how different is it than what you expected it was going to be? You know, I, I, heard, a, I heard a quote when I must have been in high school, maybe. I don't remember where it was from or who it was. And it really stayed with me. And it's someone saying, I want to leave a dent in the world. Mm -hmm. And that really stayed with me. Like the idea of living a life that matters or a mm -hmm. life that leaves some sort of footprint or impact, no matter how small it is. Yeah. And so in that sense, I feel like I am exactly where I wanted to be. But what the details are around that, no, I could have never, <laughs> never predicted this situation yeah. that we're in. But I, I do, I, I feel like I am living out my purpose, which was to, to help to leave to make some sort of like tangible impact on the lives of others and and I've been really blessed because I have that opportunity and when I hear from women that the event that we organized or the podcast that we did spoke to them or encouraged them to go seek help or was the first time that they had ever felt heard mm -hmm. like this is exactly this is exactly what I want to be doing okay and as someone who's 
you're still sort of in the media industry. And mm-hmm. as an outsider, I see a lot of similarities between like the wellness and the fashion industry in terms of unrealistic expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yes. <laughs> First of all, I think that that's a very easy parallel to draw between the two. But I think that that is a that is because a big part of the wellness industry is based on this very sort of uh, contrived definition of wellness. Mm-hmm. Right. So when we started Goodness, we wanted to bring a different kind of conversation around wellness to the region because at that time, if you picked up a women's health magazine or a shape magazine. For the most part, it was on the cover, it was like how to get a six pack in six days mm-hmm. or three ways to lose 30 kilos this summer or your dream body or your beach body or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And the conversation was so much around fitness and nutrition. And that was sort of the definition for wellness here. And what we wanted to say is that, that no, that's not right. You know, wellness is so much more holistic and it's your emotional, physical, spiritual and mental health. Mm-hmm. And if you look at wellness like that, then perhaps that statement is less applicable than if you look at the way the wellness industry is operating now. But also, there's another there's another great quote. I can't remember who said it either. I always remember quotes, never remember who says them. <laughs> but it said, it was in a book and it said that the, the, the best way to sell something to someone who doesn't need it is to make them believe that there's something wrong with themselves. Yeah. So that is applicable in, in, in scenarios like, for example, if you are made to feel like you are, you won't be good enough unless you're wearing the latest trends and therefore go out and spend and buy and, you know, consume fashion instead of wearing fashion, then yes, that, that can definitely be said about the fashion industry. The same thing about the wellness industry, you know, being made to feel like you would be better if you lost a few kilos, you would, you know, you should try this and you should try this new diet and this new cream and this new crystal and this new, et cetera, because otherwise you are lacking something, yeah. then yes, the parallel is there. But I feel like it's, it's very easy to do that. You can, you can find that in so many different industries that are targeting women, including the beauty industry, for example. True, true. Okay. So our episode today is about self-acceptance. We've talked about a lot of things, but uh, what makes you qualified to talk on the topic of self-acceptance in case people who are listening do not see the obvious? (laughs) I don't know if I'm qualified to talk about self-acceptance. I'm definitely qualified to talk about my own journey. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if it's similar to the journey of other people. I think, yes, when I've had conversations with people, there have been a lot of sort of similarities and stuff, but I think I've been on a journey to, I call it find my voice, Mm -hmm. which is why actually podcasting was so important to me because I never trusted my voice. I never trusted the words coming out of my mouth. I was so paranoid about saying the wrong thing. And I was so, you know, imposter syndrome here and, and insecurity there and all of that. And it's really been about finding my voice, finding my strength, believing in myself and also accepting some of my weaknesses and, and seeing them for what they are and accepting them. So definitely more uh, qualified to talk about my own journey than, than other people's. And hopefully people will be able to learn from your journey. Yes. Um, so thank you so much for joining me on today's episode, Noor. Um, where can everyone who wants to learn more about you or the work you do uh, go to find out? So I'm on Instagram at Noor Tahini, mm-hmm. N-O-O-R-T-E-H-I-N-I, like the food. 
And uh, goodness is at goodness okay. or www.goodness.me. And our podcasts are there and they get promoted on social as well. Awesome. Okay, guys, all the links will be in the episode description. Um, you can also hear the rest of our discussion about self-acceptance on Wednesday. So make sure to subscribe everywhere you're listening if you're not already doing so, so as to not miss anything. Also, you know, give us a rating, leave some comments, get, send us some questions. We always love it. So keep them coming. Uh, this is Mshad Nazi signing out. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.